0: Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast, serving up bite-sized doses of delicious and nutritious insight and inspiration intended to ignite your mojo within and add fuel to the fire of your life, your relationships, your work, and your contribution to the world. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth absorb digest apply repeat dinner is served
1: well hey everybody welcome to mojo studio I'm Joe McCarthy and I have a wonderful special guest with me today someone that I haven't had on my show and I'd like to introduce everyone to Deborah Wondercheck who I call Deb the Wonder Chick. <laughs> Say hey Deb.
2: Hey, I am Bill. I'm very honored to be here today. Thank you so much Joe.
1: Oh my pleasure. So Deb and I, um, we didn't attend college at the same time, but while I was working at Vanguard University, which was then Southern California College, Deb was a student. And one of my responsibilities back then was communications and marketing materials. And so Deb was one of the models that we picked to be on our publications. Uh, primarily because I was under the mandate for diversity and Deb was one of the few black students that we had at the time. Thankfully, Deb uh, was is beautiful and articulate and smart and funny. And so it made it much easier to work with her than if it was the only choice that we had. <laughs> so mm-hmm. thank, thank you Deb for helping me out back even back then. No, sure, no
2: problem. It was fun.
1: <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, I still look back at those pictures that we shot and some of those people are still our friends today which made it even even better. Right. Yeah, so that was uh, a few years ago, um, and since that time, Deb has founded what the Arts uh, and Learning Conservatory. Is that right? Arts and
2: Learning Conservatory. Yes.
1: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about founding the Arts and Learning Conservatory. When did that happen, and kind of what what was the impetus for that for you?
2: Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm. I come from a family of musicians. I'm the youngest of seven children, and. Um, the the true the reason why this or the arts and learning conservatory exists. And for those of you listening, the Arts Learning Conservatory is a nonprofit performing arts school that is that was created to make the arts equitable and accessible to all children. So especially underrepresented, vulnerable youth, we do it all. So we're in over 40 schools throughout Orange County. We're a little bit into San Bernardino and also into L.A. County, making the arts accessible and available, especially in schools where they've removed it or they don't have a high enough quality to keep it going. And we'll just come in and make it happen. So with my background, I'm the youngest of seven. We're all musicians. And we were introduced to the arts through my mother who really, even though there's seven of us children, she really wanted like 14 to 20 kids. She wanted all these kids. Yeah, believe it or not, she wanted a lot. And uh, her whole thing was when she was wanting to have children, she was like, you know, Lord, give me children. And I, I, I just tell you, I will honor you by dedicating them back to you. And I, But also I want them to have a musical talent. Please give them a musical talent and give me lots of kids and i'm the youngest of the seven my sister's the oldest there's five boys in between she also loved stringed instruments and so we really didn't have a choice on what instrument we would play that's awesome we could pick from the string family because she didn't she never had um she never had any type of training in strings and her parents didn't allow her to do anything of that sort because honestly they felt like uh, we as black people we don't do that and why are you why are you interested in that? No, you can't do it. Wow. So um, she made sure we had the right and the accessibility to do so, even though she didn't have the background. So with all of that, we played these instruments. I played cello. I have a brother another brother that played cello, two that played viola, one doubled on violin and viola. My sister was classically trained voice Uh, vocalist. She also played string bass and piano. We all played a stringed instrument. So we basically had our own little string entourage, string ensemble. We played in churches. We played in nursing homes. We played in community centers. She was a woman of her word. She Mm. said, this is what I'm going to do with these children, and this is what they're going to do. So it was all about ministry. Mm -hmm. And um, even at a very young age, I learned that when you play an instrument, it ministers to other people and it transforms their lives. Yeah. So I remember being like five, going to a nursing home. Um, at that time, I wasn't playing. We also sang. We were like the Jackson Five, but there's seven of us singing spirituals and stuff like that. Right, right. We would go into these places and sing. And she tra- trained us all. But I just remember being taught walk up to the elderly person, hold their hand, sing to them, look them in the eye, um, just be a blessing to them. And that's how I was brought up with music. It was just a natural part of my life. And I knew the impact, as young as five, of what music can do to someone. So um, with that, with having all this training, because there were, again, seven kids, it's expensive to do this type of training. Uh, My mom prayed a lot. She was like, Lord, you you gave them these instruments, now get them the lessons and whatever else. We had private lessons, um, some of which her and my father paid for and others, it was just scholarships. Um, The training we had was phenomenal. We we attended the Jack Benny Music School. I'm from Illinois. Um, Benny's from Illinois. So we attended his music school. Some of the musicians from that school uh, that taught there were musicians in the Chicago Symphony um yeah so the training was phenomenal and what ended up happening is as we were getting better at playing um some of these musicians would tell my mom you know what if they get good at this they could get scholarships to go to college yes and so my my sweet loving mother turned into a drill instructor <laughs> and then you know now we're really playing these instruments and you know practice
1: practice. Yeah.
2: Uh, so There's five a lot of the line at that point right Oh my gosh the light was there <laughs> yeah. So uh, the five of us of the seven ended up going to uh, four-year universities. My university happened to be Vanguard huh. um, three of them went to ORU or Robert University uh, my sister went back east to Indiana. So um, yes we all ended up in really good schools and from all of this experience that I did have I realized the impact the arts on my the arts had on my life. From a young child growing up and I thought I've got to do the same by creating this conservatory to make the arts accessible to children who wouldn't have known about this and in the case my mom did but most families especially of color we you don't look at playing an instrument as something that you would want to go to college for or you'd even think that you could go to college and get a scholarship Playing an instrument. Oh my yeah. gosh, you talk about breaking every stereotype there. Yeah,
1: fantastic.
2: <laughs> so anyway, um, so that's why I created it. And now, like I mentioned, um, we, we've been around for 17 years. We started out really small with just a summer camp. And my first year, we had 21 kids in that camp. The very next year, we had 140. I used Vanguard Uni- University's campus for eight years with right. summer camps, fall productions, spring productions, and it just grew to the point now where I have 23 teachers, teaching specialists that go into the schools and make this happen for kids. We have scholarships now, and now I'm working with universities, creating actual four-year university scholarships for students wow. who come through the program. So, um, yeah.
1: Full circle. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So just to give people a little more history of our relationship, when I was on staff at Vanguard and Deborah came in as a string player into the orchestra, I had graduated from that school just before I got on staff and I was a trumpet player, a trumpet player in the orchestra and Deb ended up in one of the um, groups that I had played in before. And the director scheduled a outreach to New Zealand and Fiji yeah. and Tahiti, right? And uh, it turned out that the lead trumpet player couldn't go on the trip for whatever reason. He had a conflict that summer. And so the director who knew me and talked to the president uh, of the, the institution and said, would it be all right if I take Joe along on this trip so that I have a trumpet player? And of course, I'm like, really? How much that going to cost, right? And the president, Wayne Crace, he said, not only will I send Joe, but I'll just I'll just consider it one of his duties for his job. And so I got to go to Fiji and New Zealand and Rarotonga and Tahiti and play with the orchestra where I really got to know Deb. And I got paid for doing it. So oh,
2: I didn't know that. That's yeah,
1: so I, I couldn't tell anybody. This is the first time that yeah. would have gotten out because everybody would have been mad at me, right? But right. man, talk, talk about the best job in the world. You you have to go tour the world playing the gospel with your trumpet with a bunch of musicians in the most beautiful places in the world and we're gonna pay you to do it. Oh let me pray about that. Yes Lord here right. I am <laughs> that
2: was an awesome trip. That was. was gorgeous. That was so
1: amazing. Much like Deb, you know I grew up in a family where my mom was She was dead set that we're going to learn an instrument, whether we're musical or not. And, you know, there's no way to know until you get into it. So in fourth grade, my mom said, you're taking piano lessons and we'll just see what happens. But as a typical child, I fought with my mother about having to do piano lessons because I wanted to be outside. I wanted to play. I wanted to be doing baseball or football or basketball. And my mom's like, just half an hour a day. Just stick with it because you've got something there, Joe. You've got a talent. So I got to sixth grade. And this is the first time they had a band program available. And I said, mom, can I join the band instead of doing piano lessons? And she said, as long as you're playing an instrument, I don't care which instrument it is. You you can stop piano if you want to and and play an instrument. So I said, drums, I want to be a drummer. (laughs) And, And at the time we lived in a trailer park in a trailer house and my mom's like, no, I'm sorry, Joe. That's just one thing we can't do because one, there's no melody. And two, it just, there's no place I can hide from the noise, right? The the, the house is too small. So I was like, Oh shoot. Uh, What's the next loudest instrument I can think of? (laughs) I'll be a trumpet
0: player. (laughs) I'm
1: I'm all boy. Right. So my mom's like, okay, trumpet's fine. Because I know eventually I'm going to be able to recognize the tunes. There'll actually be music coming out of the instrument rather than just rhythm. And we didn't, we didn't have, the money for lessons or anything like that, but I started playing it and I fell in love with it. And I just just put my heart and my soul into it. And I practiced every day on my own, just because I loved it. Fast forward then that became my passport to the world. As you know, I I toured with a couple of different gospel teams and I've been to 30 countries primarily as a gospel musician and got to meet Mother Teresa and Pope John Paul II while I was on tour back in 1990. Um, And that's not so much to brag, but to say music Can transform your life on so many levels right being a musician transforms you in the way you think there's lots of studies that will say the benefits to learning just by learning music and learning to play not to mention the social aspect of music because you do it together in a group and you become a family and you bond which is how you and i became friends Uh, Mm -hmm. and then it became like my passport to the world i said i can play my trumpet in any language of the world so let's go back to your childhood i didn't realize till now that you grew up in illinois was it a suburb of chicago
2: yeah, it was a city called Waukegan, Illinois. Waukegan.
1: sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm I'm guessing that was a fairly diverse neighborhood where you grew up.
2: It, you know what? I thought it was, but when I went back, because I we left there when I was 10 and moved to California. So when I went back at 18, I was like, this is not diverse. Well, yeah. <laughs> it was like black people lived on one part of town puerto ricans lived on another and whites on another part of town so it was not diverse and i always was the only black child in the orchestra Mm -hmm. many times at different schools but it was no not diverse at all
1: (laughs) you know when i met you from the outside you come across like you've got your act together you're you're a good student you're a good musician you're a very well spoken you're a happy person you got lots of friends but you you alluded to something which i don't mind if you don't mind talking about that there mm-hmm. was there was a big struggle going on inside of you that was motivating you
2: i mentioned just a moment ago that at the age of 10 we moved to california uh, but that was based on the fact that there was a lot of issues going on with my parents um, in their marriage. And we, we literally left in the night, uh, the kids, my mom, myself, um, and three other siblings, because the other three were in college. And we, we actually left home because there was a life and death situation. My, my father was threatening to kill my mom. So, um, so literally with the suitcase in my hand, uh, my cello on my back, she made sure we brought our instruments. We all escaped in the night on a train, went to Denver, Colorado, stayed in a women's shelter and then went to move to California because that was the furthest state away from Illinois without going to Hawaii. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So we ended up in Oceanside in a women's shelter. Um, out of a life-threatening situation, but even with all of that going on, my mom was like, bring those instruments with you. God's called you. Keep them with you. You're going to play these instruments. So um, when we ended up in Oceanside, we actually lived right across the street from a, a magnet school. And by this time, you know, it was months and months of all this traveling and hiding and, you know, trying to get away when we ended up across the street from that school, that was my lifeline. Uh, That was a magnet school for the arts. It had an orchestra, it had dance, it had band, it had everything that I do here at my conservatory was based off of that experience. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It changed my life. Because by the time we had gotten to that place, my my little world was shattered. And I was Super well, low, super low self-esteem. I'm like, what is this little world we're in now? Because everything I knew was where we came from, where all of our family lives. So to be in this new place and not with friends, not with um, other family, and to also be in a shelter, you know, it's it was kind of, you know, a little humiliating. Of course. Um, but with that experience, just having to be able to play my instrument in the little school orchestra, and to excel, and to have the, the teachers recognize the talent that I had and build me up, it it just it changed everything. It changed the trajectory of my life. So the wow. arts were more than just let me just create a program. It it was it was my life. Yes. And it changed it changed everything about my life. Yep.
1: So <laughs> wow. Let me stop you right there, Deb. I mean, this is an incredibly beautiful story, and thank you for being vulnerable. Um, I'm learning the hard way, because I'm a guy, that people connect best at their points of weakness and pain. And, you know, I I try to put the armor on all the time and say, everything's fine, I'm good. And then people are like, well, that's fine, but you're keeping me at an arm's distance. And I I didn't really get that until too late in my life. But I'm realizing now that really, and as Brene Brown would say, if we're going to be leaders, we have to be vulnerable, because People can't relate to people who don't have any flaws, right? And I just think that's amazing that, that you would, not only what you've gone through, but the fact that now you sit here publicly and tell that story. It's, it's a sign of your healing, of your of your path, and also of your power, being able to be vulnerable. So thank you for that gift.
2: I mean, honestly, I haven't really talked about my background until just recently. I finally felt like, okay, I can begin to share this. Because most people do look at me and they think, oh, she's got it all together. She's right. you know, got, you know, hairs together, clothes, all that stuff, plays a cello. Who does that? Uh, but a lot of that had to do with really always wanting to present my best self. Yes. And um, always aspiring to be even more because I always felt like I was less than what people were really seeing. Yeah. So um, it's been a long journey for me. Yeah. And um, you know it's healing to be able to yeah. talk about it today. But right. I mean, even when you knew me in college, and most people knew me, it was like, oh, you know, she's got it together, and you know, she does this, she does that. Because I was, what was that? Part of the ASB, I was social mm-hmm. activity director, I was a resident assistant, and all that other fun stuff. But
1: well, that's why I call you Wonder Chick because you <laughs> yeah. you're living up to that name. And, yeah. and I think it's only it's only fair and equitable and right that I tell you a little bit more of my story, which I'm sure you haven't heard, because I too can come across like, oh, I've got it all together. He's happy, he's talented, he's articulate, all those type of things, does good in school, makes good friends. But the truth is, I too was presenting my best self and music played a huge role in there because my family, I was went, gone through two divorces before I was 15 hmm. uh, and I had a terrible stepdad situation where it basically crushed my soul made me feel really small. I stopped. I mean, my tears broke for many years of my life because I just, I was so tired of crying when I was intimidated. I just decided I wasn't going to cry anymore. I wasn't going to show that weakness. Right. And so, so for me, music and sports and academics became the place where I could, shine so that I would feel better about myself right so that someone would recognize me that you've got something to contribute you're not a piece of crap right you do have something important you are valuable so my coaches and my directors and my mentors in school my teachers who would give me that attention that I craved music became so important to me because I got to create something beautiful but also because I got the affirmation and the attention and the nurturing that I was craving as well.
2: Right. That's, that's what it did for me as well. I, I felt like I had to, actually, I wanted to excel
1: yes. on cello.
2: You know, I wanted to just be the best of the best. And I worked so hard hours and hours of practice. And I just in, totally enjoyed it. But it was just nice to hear that final product and be able to do those recitals and performances. Very rewarding. So, Yeah, yeah no yeah.
1: doubt. When I got to be in jazz band, man, I was like, we all play according to a certain chord structure and we follow the chart until you get to the vamp. And then you've got these these, these bars of measures where there's no notes. It's just repeats on yeah. on the other end and the rhythm section's carrying the, the deal. And as a trumpet player, I get to improvise and I get to interpret right. the music the way i feel it and there's nothing wrong with it right i mean there are wrong notes in jazz so you have to know the theory to go into it but once you understand how the music's structured then you've got all this freedom to make something beautiful on your own and you get to be a creator within the music and i'm, I'm like this this is where i want to live right so to what was the kind of the process where you went from okay i've, I've gone through college now and, and i excelled and now i want to replicate what the gift that was given to me back at this magnet school. Tell me a little bit about how did that develop?
2: I knew that upon graduating, I needed to get more training because I I do, did want to be an effective music teacher. So I completed my degree music assistant. I started teaching after that, um, in the Irvine school district, Newport Mesa first then Irvine. And I became a, a master teacher i did a lot of stuff joe it's a master teacher i was a string specialist i was director of honor orchestras um i had a lot of a lot of clout musically speaking and sure. i taught private lessons um, and before that i did get married i got married in between all that <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but then i decided i really wanted to have my own school and i i felt i needed to have my master's degree to really excel in that sense so i got my master's degree and I even went back to Vanguard and taught for a few years at, um, as a music professor, training students how to be effective music teachers. Cool. So I did that for about four or five years. Yeah, so I did all of that. And then I just, uh, I had my son. That's a whole nother story. He was born in American Samoa. Uh, we were on a missions trip. We were there for a year. My husband was teaching in a Bible school, and I got a job teaching in a public school. Funny story. I went there thinking, oh, I can teach music. They didn't need a music teacher. They asked me if I would teach English because I spoke better English than the people who were teaching English at the
1: school. I was
2: like, I don't teach English, but if you need me to, I will do it. (laughs) He was born in Samoa. And when we came back um, a year after that, I was pregnant with my second child. And it was then that I thought, you know what? I would like to start my own school some way, somehow, didn't know how it was going to happen. And it started, you know, had a summer camp and went into uh, another summer camp, fall, spring, and it turned into a, a year round program. And it Very just
1: cool. kind of evolved. And you said now, how many schools are you into and, and how many people are working with you?
2: We have 40, 40 schools that we're operating in and we have uh, 23 teaching artists that go into all these different schools. And just recently we created a partnership with the YMCA of Orange County. Mm. Uh, They have a lot of locations and that was a whole nother thing that really the Lord had placed on my heart to just told me, reach out to them due to the pandemic, because everything was closed, even though we're in all these schools, the schools are closed. So we had to go online with some, but long story short, I reached out to the Y of of OC because they never closed during the pandemic. They were serving the first responders and all the emergency workers' children. So I created a partnership with them and now we are going to start reaching into, um, our goal is to be in 20 uh, YMCA's of Orange County by 2022.
1: Do you provide your services to the schools and to the YMCA at no cost?
2: Some of them we do. There are some schools where parents can afford to pay the fee. She's like $75 a month and they get, you know, four, actually eight classes a month, wow. uh, it's, which, you know, with private yep. lessons, they cost hundreds of dollars a month. Yep, for so sure. We'll do it that way. Sometimes the PTA will step in and pay for the services at their school campus. Um, we get grants because we are a nonprofit yeah. um, and those grants help cover quite a bit of the services so we were going to do whatever it takes to make sure the children have the arts
1: one of the things that i pulled out of what you just said was you didn't really know how but you just started and you just kept moving forward right and believe it or not i just came out of a training with tony robbins and dean graziosi who are the kings of motivational speakers and marketing and all this kind of stuff basically they said exactly what you just said deb don't get stuck on the tyranny of how If you've got a compelling why, and you've got the motivation, and you've got the mindset to do it, the how will reveal itself. And for us, you and I, that's believing Mm -hmm. that you step out in faith and God will be there. He'll build the bridge and show you the direction to go, as he has all through your life and through mine as well. But the principle is the same, that we sometimes those of us that may have dreams and goals and aspirations and feel like we're really meant to do something important or do something that will impact the world and help other people, we get stuck on the how. We think, well, I've never done that before. Well, of course you haven't. It's the first time. (laughs) None of us have done it before, right? You hadn't done it before. And so, you know, these gurus of motivation and inspiration are saying, throw the how out. It will reveal itself. Just step out with the why and the what. You know, if you've got you got the motivation and the mindset, and you know a little bit of the tactics and the strategies, the rest of it will reveal itself as you go. And it sounds to me that that's exactly what happened for you. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. Definitely, that's what's happened. I even think about that first camp that I had with, I only had 21 students in that camp. But technically speaking, three days before the camp started, I had three kids in that camp. And um, it was my husband that was, I was talking to him. I'm like, maybe I should wait till I'm 60, 65, you know, old, you know, now we're not that far from that, but I'm like, I'm retired. That's not, he's like, if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. Call some kids, call some families. I called over 100 families between that Friday of the three kids and that Monday. And by Monday I had 21 kids and that sparked it. It's like, okay, we can do this. But it wasn't actually faith, but I also learned very quickly what faith really is. It's, you know, that whole scripture about faith without works is dead. Right. I worked my tail off. That's while right. praying, You know, God, please, please. But I'm thinking, just please just give them to me. And he would just, from the sky, from the heavens, they would just drop in my lap. That's, right. That was my concept of faith. Just pray. Yeah. So you don't do anything. And I had, I had to work my rear end off. Got the 21, and today we're serving over 1,200 students every year with these programs. But oh my gosh, it was a lot of work, it was an act of faith. But yeah, I, I knew I was called. This this is a calling that I've had on my life. So
1: yeah, that, that's, that's actually fantastic. I was just talking about this in my message this last weekend when I was talking about David and Goliath. You know, David, he could say he believed whatever, but if he didn't step out there and face the giant, then no one would, would have believed him. In fact, David is probably. Criticizing all of his brothers and even the king who said they believe in this God that Goliath is railing against, but they're they're doing nothing. And so you're right, you know, if people get hung up on faith without works, right? Is it all works? Is it all faith? It is all both. It's both it's and true. and in fact, if you say you have faith, but you don't have works, the Bible's pretty clear you don't really even have faith because right? faith is proved by your works. It it is in the action. And that's that that's that step, that's that bold step of faith that I don't know how. But I do have a good why, and I do believe that God is with me, and he will provide, and he has, right? In fact, I think I heard at Vanguard the first time someone said from one of our chapels that you work and act as if it's all dependent on you, and you pray as if it's all dependent on God. And at the time, I thought, well, that sounds kind of dumb, right? That sounds like a platitude and whatever, and kind of blew it off. And sure enough, it's proven to be true, right? That's God wants us to do all that we can do in our power and then have utmost faith that all the stuff we can't do, he'll show up for.
2: Right. Absolutely. That's a good word.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's pray. No, I'm just
2: kidding.
1: (laughs) So so I'm curious now you've you've got all these employees and all these schools and you're a nonprofit and you don't, charge very much for this. So what's the business model? How do you sustain this financially?
2: A percentage of it is with the fees, the nominal fees. We're sustaining it through now, more donations are coming in than ever before. And also through the grants. It's those three mediums that really keeps us afloat. Uh, But what I'm finding, again, with this whole new partnership with the YMCA, upon my stepping out and reaching out to them, I've had more people give donations because they know everyone knows the why.
1: Yeah. And it
2: you know, it just adds more legitimacy to what we're trying to accomplish in the fact that yeah, I even had like the CEO, COO of the company actually come to an event of mine and speak about, Hey, we are partnering with the arts and learning conservatory. Fantastic. So, um, so that's really taking our business model to a different, a whole different level, which is, amazing to
1: us. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to turn the corner a little bit and talk about racial issues, racial justice, social diversity, all these kind of things, which I know strikes the heart of both of us in different ways. Uh, People would look at me and say, what do you have to say about racial diversity, right? But they don't know that I've adopted two children, and so I have a multiracial home, uh, and so I'm very sensitive to those things. But I'm also very ignorant. And I, I, this is a great story about my relationship with Deb is that just a few months ago, I'm posting something on a group, probably with our college friends. And out of complete ignorance, I put the hashtag, all lives matter. I had no idea what that meant. I, had no, I just that just sounded good to me. Right. And so I thought, yeah, black lives matter. All lives matter. Right. So that's why I put it down out of just innocence and sincerity, but ignorance. And Deb, to her credit, instead of blasting me in the group where everybody could have seen it, she sends me a private message and she says, Joe, I know you well enough that I don't think you really know what All what all Lives Matters for. And I'm like, well, inform me because I probably don't. You're right. And then she went on to, to explain why, why All Lives Matter really is a slap in the face to Black Lives Matter and that You know, I should rethink that before I put that hashtag because it comes with a whole another layer of of meaning that I I really didn't intend. And so, well, that's a gift to me on many levels. One, you educated me, but two, you did it without embarrassing me. So thank you for that. And it actually has built uh, more trust and love and respect in our relationship. So thank you for that. But I think some people would say, okay, you're in Orange County. Is there diversity there, right? Because from a distance, people would think, well, isn't that like white, conservative Republican land of America?
2: Well, yeah, (laughs) but there is some, obviously there is diversity here, but, um, it's been a struggle. Um, I will honestly have to say with my struggle here in Orange County, I've had a lot of favor, uh, with probably my upbringing too, a lot of favor I've had with just how God has opened doors in spite of just what people say and think about, you know, my just looking at me and things. I have had discrimination against me in many forms. Well, this is really sad. I have three children and um, all of them look different, but they the same husband, hello. <laughs> 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 they look different, but I remember taking them to little swim school. My son was six and my second child was four, two, six, four, two. And I'm just standing around watching my kids swim. And this one mom walks up to me and she's like, oh, your kids, they're beautiful, beautiful children. Are they all from the same father? Oh I'm like, you didn't ask that other woman that. Why are you, you think no. I'm a whole, you know, I have one husband. These are my three children. How are you? But it was, it was a said so flippantly like, oh, big deal. I can, you know, you're black. You have three kids that don't look all the same. Clearly you have three different boyfriends. I've dealt with stuff like that. And even with that woman, I don't think I, I think I was in such shock. I didn't even, I think I told her, no, it's, I have one husband. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And just kind of walked away. Mm -hmm. But, um, I don't know. I've, I've kind of deal with stuff, but I, I didn't allow stuff to get me in a place where I'm hateful or I just can't talk to white people. Or I just that's never been me. But it's real this this stuff that's going on right now or it, yeah. it has been magnified. It's always been here, yes. always been in the United States, always, always, always. It's just now people are seeing it more and it's being magnified. And now it's being seen as, you know, oh, I didn't know that was here or you know, get over it. That that's that was the past. This this isn't really still a big no, it's always been here. It's just now more magnified in, in many ways. And it's just how do you deal with it? Do you get mad at everybody or do you enlighten people and move on with your life? You
1: know. So anyway,
2: I don't know if I answered your question, but
1: oh, that was awesome. You speak it from your heart, so you're definitely answering the right question. Again, this is one of the great benefits to what you're doing with the Arts and Learning Conservatory is that not only are you giving kids confidence and you're teaching them a skill and, and they will be better learners and all the benefits of being in a music and they'll be in a community of diverse kids, right? And so, so this is this is one of the benefits I think of team sports and orchestras and bands is that once you get on those teams, nobody cares about your skin at that point. They just want you to play your position and do it well. Because if you don't play well, then we all suck. And if you play well, then we all win. And, and kind of that, it becomes an us thing rather than a bunch of me things. Right. Do, have you seen that as well?
2: Oh my goodness. That's huge. That is the what music and being a part of the arts is all about. You don't see the color. You know, it's what people like, yeah, if you don't see color, you don't honor the person. But what I mean by that is you are judged by what you bring to the table. It's your gifting that yes. people see and it's right. the gifting that they honor. And it's the gifting that they cannot deny what you've brought to the table there's no denying it doesn't make a difference what you look like if you're heavy if you're thin if you've got short who cares it's because when it comes to the instrument it's what is that sound that you've just created and people have to step back and go okay i honor that or the scripture that that goes along with that is your your gift will make room for you
1: yes right
2: and that's, that, that's honestly when I was kind of even trying to explain that even with dealing with all the craziness that's been going on in our world, the favor that's been on my life has been the gifting that God has placed on me. It has made room for me in spite Absolutely.
1: of anything
2: that's going on in the world today. Yeah. Um, again, I still deal with stuff, but I know, I, I know the favor of God is on my life. I know what he's called me to do and because I'm called, and i'm just grounded in that calling. He's going to open the doors, make the room, and i don't have to get all worked up over the craziness around me.
1: Yeah. So for me, the opposite is true for me. So uh, when i lived before i got when i first got married before i had ki- killed children, we lived in West LA. And just around the corner from where our apartment complex, there was West LA College, and on Saturday mornings it was a pickup game basketball, first come first serve, you know, free for all. And i thought, i love playing basketball, i'll go play, and when i showed up I was either one or one of two white guys, right? And there's a lot of lot of players, mostly black, but other colors as well. And they've been playing together, and they're friends, and they're calling each other names that I could never speak because I would get kicked right. off the court for. Uh, and so I I played with them, and and exactly the same thing happened. As long as I showed up and I played my part and I and I played well and I had something to bring to the game, then it wasn't long before all that just disappeared. And I was one of the guys. And I n- really knew that I was integrated into the group when they called me the names they were calling each other. Regardless yeah. of the color of my skin, I was like, yeah. I mean, to really? me, that's, you never say those words. Those words are taboo. And they're calling yeah. me. And I'm like, that's like a badge of honor. You know, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm in. <laughs> I, I find, I, just amazing how that works. And and, I'm, and when I, as I hear you talk, Deb, I hear there's these three There's probably more, but there's three threads of confidence in you. One comes from your mom. She's just like determined that we're going to weather this and you're going to be a musician, whether you like it or not. Because she knew that if you stuck with it long enough, it would become like for for you, the passport to what you're doing, your calling. And she knew all the benefits to music. So she just like, "Mm, you're going to do this. Right. And then, then there's the confidence that comes from you playing the instrument that, hey, I, I can do this. I can do it well. I have a place in the orchestra. You know, I have a gift and it is making room for me, right? And then there's this confidence of you stepping out in faith saying, I want this for others. And you see God showing up in there in, in your action, which is your faith. And I just see all these things weave together like this beautiful braid that makes you even that much stronger and it's it's a it's a wonder to watch. It's a wonder chick to watch.
2: <laughs> you know what I will say this when it comes to my mom. She spoke life over all of us, all of the children constantly. So, I would just say if you're a parent out there and you have children, speak life over them. Even speak over them things that aren't even happening like you know if they're they're acting crazy you know you are the smartest child around and you've got such great giftings and you you have to speak those things over them because honestly by the time i was five with everything my mom had spoken to me i knew i was going to college Cause she kept telling me, you're going to college, you're going to college, you're going to be successful. The Lord has called you, the Lord has called. When you hear the Lord's called you enough, you're like, oh yeah, i have called. That's right. Oh my God, I didn't know That's what else was to be called too. But she spoke that over all seven of us. And like daily, you know, we had prayer meeting. That's a whole nother story. We had a prayer meeting every morning at 5 a.m. Wow. to get us ready for school. We had to listen to a little prayer meeting, but um, but she spoke life. And when you hear that enough, that gets into your spirit and you believe what you're hearing. And even when you're a teenager, when you're like, oh, mom's crazy, that stuff stays in you. And you you become that. So I'm doing that now with my kids. I'm kind of looking at them cross-eyed sometimes. But just keep speaking life and they'll walk into that calling eventually. So.
1: And let me throw this out to grandparents as well, because that person for me was my grandmother and she had what I thought was uh, a secret nickname for me that nobody else knew. And it was BBITW, best boy in the world. And yeah. she would say that to me and she would write it on cards and she write it on the music. She put it in my birthday cards and my Christmas gifts, BBITW, best boy in the world. And I thought, Oh, that's great. My grandmother loves me. But there was something that went deeper that gave me this boost of confidence. I mean, it could sound arrogant, best boy in the world, like I'm comparing myself to others, but that's not the way I took it. I took it with this great pride, like I'm something special. At least my grandmother thinks so. And so when, when my family imploded and all that kind of stuff, I easily, like you, could have turned to drugs or I could have turned to gangs or I, I could have just become a hermit. Or There's a lot of negative choices I could have made, right. but there there was something deep inside that... I knew god loved me my grandmother loved me there's something about this best boy in the world thing and and so i was able to push past all these roadblocks and clamps and and negative things because i just had that i just believed it was true it's exactly what you're talking about these so some people will rail against affirmations and incantations all this kind of thing but it really does rewire your brain and build your faith when you hear even if it doesn't look like it's true right now and so i i think this is biblical because with gideon who's like he's he's ashamed he's afraid he's a, he's a coward and the angel shows up and says mighty man of valor
2: right in fact,
1: in fact that's the only place in the bible where the world word that means hero is used and it's mm-hmm. used with the angel of god talking to gideon when he was a hero no when he was a loser when he was a right. chicken right? And and that was the affirmation of what was true. It just hadn't been realized yet. And of course, we know Gideon becomes one of the great heroes of the Bible. And, and like, so that's what your mom did for you. That's what my grandmother did for me. And that's what we can do for our own children and our own grandchildren. And quite honestly, we should be doing for ourselves. Everybody, you know, deals with f- feelings of inadequacy and I'm not enough yeah. and I, I'm right. not worthy of love or, or the imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to, to do any of this, right? And I've, I've been told, Right on your mirror, I am enough. God loves me just the way I am. So that when you look in your mirror, you see those words and they're in your own handwriting. And eventually that's going to sink into your subconscious and in your spirit. And you're going to live up to that. I just think that's that's beautiful. So now I'm going to pivot just a little bit more. I found out just within the last two weeks that Deb has been singled out and handpicked to be on a in a really remarkable group. So tell, tell us, tell the world what it is that you've been tapped to do, Deb.
2: I was invited to become a member of the National Association of Women in Business Organization, long title. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what I was um, selected for was to um, apply to be a part of their corporate board training. And what that is, is they're training women specifically and women of color to uh grooming us to know how to be an effective board member for corporations uh, because i guess there's a new law that's been coming out or came out for maybe it's fortune 500 companies or corporations that there needs to be more diversity on the board present so uh, there's an organization who who basically sponsored my fee for this organization and I'm now being trained for this and will complete my training in August. So it's a complete honor that I was selected and hope to land a position on a corporate board as a board member, but that's that's what that was all about.
1: For for the listeners, just think of how amazingly awesome this is. Deb, who came from humble beginnings with some of the worst circumstances you can imagine, the youngest of seven, you know, having to leave the home in the middle of the night, living in a women's shelter, all these things and being a woman of color in America where we know that is, it puts you, you know, at a disadvantage right from the very, from the get-go. And yet with your faith, with your mom, with all these things, with music, all these things that have, you have grown into and become and are becoming. Now someone sees in you, you should be a representative on a corporate, maybe even a fortune 500 board as a woman of color. This is even more remarkable because your background is in nonprofit organizations, right, and faith-based yeah. organizations, and they're asking you to be a board representative on corporate America right. corporations. And and I can tell right from the beginning when you were telling me that you're like, what I, what how why me? Because I don't really have that background, right? And maybe that too goes to what is a calling? God's calling you to do something that's way outside your comfort zone, right? Well, at least it seems that way, right, on the surface. But what he's calling you to do is to show up and and share your faith and share your voice and, and be a representative of women and women of color who have confidence, who have accomplished things, who have gone through the valleys of the shadow of death and come out the other side. So you really do have a lot to share, even if you don't know the inner workings of corporate America.
2: Yes. I remember even going to one of the meetings and sitting there going, why am I here? Because some of the people there are working on, they have a huge contract with the 405 freeway. Somebody else is an anchor woman for ABC. And these are all people in the cohort that I'm in. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm just uh, I'm just a cellist and have <laughs> <I'm> a performing <laughs> art school. But the fact that this school was founded, you know, I founded it by myself. Well, my husband helped me, but it was just us not really knowing what we we're doing, starting out from 21, students to now having over the past 17 years impacted over like seven, 8,000 kids, you know, and still growing the company. They, they were basically just stating, you have got to amplify, you've done great things and you've great really carried this organization like a, a regular business and not from the mentality of a nonprofit, which I didn't know, Right. That I didn't have a mentality. Right. I guess the difference between a nonprofit mentality and a business, but the the whole amplification of my voice was like you are a business woman, and you need to step up and be heard because you've done amazing things. So it's kind of right. hard to take that sometimes of hearing right. other people say that, but it's, it's yeah. just a beautiful thing to
1: hear. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm, I'm so proud of you as my friend and and just knowing what you represent and now know, knowing more about your story. And I do, I'm sure you do too, you have a sense that it's not just that the organization picked you. God has handpicked you. And yes. even if you don't know why or you don't know how, right, um, just like you didn't know how to start an arts conservatory, if God's called you to this, he'll provide the how all you need is the why, right? And the why is mm-hmm. to, to be obedient, to be obedient to the doors that God opens. And you've already, you told me offline, I mean, this is gonna be a heck of a lot of work in addition to what you're already doing, but that's the nature of a calling. It, it may, may cost you everything, but it was all worth it in the end, right? That's mm-hmm. the nature of a calling. So I just, I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. And I'm hoping that somehow with my marketing skills and background, I can help you amplify your voice and, and find your place in that world. Um, and you know, I, I think there, you're gonna be surprised in a really pleasant way that people are gonna be drawn to you because of what you have been through, what you have accomplished. The mess of your life has now become something beautiful. Uh, and, and part of that was determination and grit. Part of that was the support of your husband. And I heard you say, when you oh. said, oh, let's just do that when I'm retired. And he says, if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. Now's right. the time. And I'm like, go, go Gary, that is right. awesome. <laughs> Because yeah. Gary really said, "Yeah, you're right. Let's just wait till a better time." And he's like, "Right." He felt it too. He was pushing you on, and that that speaks to needing people in our lives who, when we do feel weak and when our arms get tired, they'll prop them back up and say, "You go, girl. You got right. this." Right? Yeah. I want to be one of those people for you, if if I can, in any way I can. Thank you. I Appreciate that. And uh, I just want to thank Deborah Wonder Chick, Wonder Chick, <laughs> <laughs> my guest, and thank you for you know being faithful what God has put you put in front of you one step at a time and it's just to see it grow to see it build uh, and I think we'll probably check back with you at some point in the future and see where has God taken you next
2: thank you so much it's an honor being here today and if, if there's any kids locally here in um, the Orange County area definitely check out artsandlearning.org artsandlearning.org we have so many classes for the children in dance, voice, instrumental instruction, but mainly when they come here, we're looking to find that gift that's inside of them and bring out the best in every single youth and child that comes through our doors.
1: Before we go, Deb, tell them about the show. You've got a show coming up this summer. Tell us a oh. little about the show.
2: Yay! I was, Wow, we've got a lot going on. Um, we are doing a live production this summer outdoors at Concordia University and it's called Once on this Island. We're doing the junior version uh, with this production. It does tie in the beauty of diversity. We have a truly diverse cast with this production. It's a take on Little Mermaid. But it's done and with a Caribbean vibe. So right. if you love Little Mermaid, but you love reggae and Caribbean music, you got to come see this. <laughs> when we do a production, we go big or we go home. And like some of the the walls of the sets are we're building in this amphitheater, 15 feet wide, uh, 15 feet high, 65 feet wide. Yeah. All we're, bells and whistles. We are going to have it all. Perfect for the family. It's happening july 16th through the 25th again outdoors at the amphitheater at concordia university so please come see who we are if you if you see me there come say hello but uh definitely bring your family out to this production you will love it you will love it
1: sounds awesome i I can't wait to see it that's gonna be a blast i'm gonna bring my family we're all gonna be dancing in the chairs no you you (laughs) didn't you get disney people that are working on the show with you
2: You know what? um, The gentleman who's the music director works for Disney and um, the director, her husband, is the casting director for Disney and she was a five-time Broadway dancer and an Alvin Ailey dancer.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, you go big, right? You're going to go big. (laughs) Uh, Because of my age, I've changed that phrase. I used to say go big or go home. Now we say go big, then go home. And sometimes, oh. sometimes home means heaven in that phrase, right? I'm going to go big yeah. while I still can. While I'm still upright <laughs> on this earth, and then uh, go home and, and re- relax. I, I tell people I can sleep in heaven, right? I don't really get to sleep much here. here. <laughs> yeah. So on behalf of Joe McCarthy, Mojo Studio, Deborah wonderchick of ArtsAndLearning.org, it's been a pleasure to have you here. We both realize that time is precious and non-renewable resource, and so the fact that you spent time with us means you weren't doing something else you could have been doing. And we pray and hope that this conversation has been enriching to your life, enriching to your family. And we would encourage you, put feet to your faith, make it action. You know, whatever you heard that resonated with your heart and with your spirit, take a step, even if you don't know how, but you've got a good, compelling why. Step out there and see God show up. And if you need somebody, get your husband or your wife or your best friend or your grandmother or your mother to whisper in your ear, do it now before you're dead, right? (laughs) So, So. Signing out. Until next time, God bless you all.
0: If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you for tuning in.